Unlike MXPX where I knew it was a hit and I put everything into it, Supertones and almost like as a God thing or a Jason Carson thing, he came and demanded to be on the label and I didn't want to sign him and they locked me in a room and made me do it. Welcome back to Labeled, the stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth & Nail Records. I'm your host, Matt Carter, and today we're going to cover your favorite and likely the biggest Christian ska band of all time, the OC Supertones, the band that took Tooth & Nail Records to yet a new height after the departure of MXPX. The secret to their success, I'll reveal right up front, it's hard work, persistence, and amazingly positive, faith-filled attitude. Now, on this show, I like to make the assumption that bands during their heyday, there's usually plenty of coverage and promotion and, you know, you were there to witness a lot of what was going on. So on Labeled, we like to set the focus on things like the deeper underpinnings and the forces and the environment and the origin stories. And, and as you get by now, we're telling the stories that fit into the larger picture of the development of Tooth & Nail itself. So far, we've completed what I call Act 1 of this 20-episode series, and we've covered the history of the genre and some of the associated movements, and we did what we could to include as many bands and individuals as possible. We covered the early development of the label and the staff and the evolution of its raw DIY beginnings. Then last time, with MXPX, we had the label's first breakout success, and we enter a new phase of Tooth & Nail being a legitimate powerhouse in the music world. But this is also the spot where it could have gone off the rails. With MXPX leaving for A&M Records, the label had grown the size of its office and staff and expenses, but no longer had their largest artists whose sales were sustaining them. And it's in that sense in which the OC Supertones may have actually saved the label. And remember my emphasis there on the word saved. To the Nail would in fact go on to have a tremendous amount of hits and breakout bands over the next 20 years, selling tens of millions of albums and remaining at the forefront of the Christian scene and helping to define entirely new genres. That's what we're going to cover in Act 2 of this series. And it all starts with Ska and the OC Supertones and the hero of this story and maybe the entire series if you look at it right, Jason Carson, the drummer of the Supertones. All right, Supertones, let's rock. So Jason was friends with Brandon back in the day, and if you remember, we heard from him in the last chapter. He's the guy at the church that brought MXPX to California for the first time so that his band could open the show. But we'll rewind a little bit farther than that in the timeline to the formation of this very special musical outfit. Now, you're going to hear three sources of tape in this episode. One, from a Twitch stream conversation that I had with Jason Carson a couple of weeks ago, and some old tape from Brandon from 2013. Now, the third source is especially cool. It's the lead singer, Matt Morjinski, or Mojo, who's being interviewed for an upcoming documentary. And here's the official blurb for it, just so you know. Exclusive interview footage with Matt Merjinski, provided courtesy of Matt, along with the producers of Pick It Up, a ska movie, a highly anticipated documentary film about ska music in the 90s. The film can be found at Ska Movie almost anywhere online, and it's premiering at several international film festivals later this spring and summer. Thanks to Jason, Taylor, and Lenore of Five Iron Frenzy for being friends and supporters of the Labeled Podcast. And I also want to say thank you to a new behind-the-scenes buddy of mine who made this connection for me. Okay, here we go. This is Jason Carson and me. The first name of our band was Honkies for Christ, which is, <laughs> <laughs> right? So it was HFC, Honkies for Christ. Yeah, I had just become a Christian, and like uh, music was my whole life. Bands were my whole life. Mm -hmm. I was in all these high school bands, playing parties and whatever. So music was everything to me. And so the night like I became a Christian, I had a pretty awesome uh, encounter with God, and like I felt like God just really called me to use my life for Him and my talents for Him. Mm -hmm. And next thing I knew, like I'm like, okay, well, what do you want me to do with my drumming and my music? And I really felt strong. I know that seems weird to people and over-spiritual and stuff, but I, I, for me, I just really felt a strong calling from the Lord to like trust Him with it and to use my talents for Him and not anymore for these bands I was in. And God was calling me to step away from that. And I was like freaked out. I'm like some junior in high school feeling like 
this is my whole identity. You want me to what, God? Like, how am I supposed to do that? I'll lose all my friends. I'll lose all my popularity, all my passion, my music, all this stuff. And and I felt like he just called me to trust him. And so one week later, exactly one week from the night I got saved, this guy asked me if I wanted to join a Christian band. I didn't even know there was Christian bands. Well, I'm ugly as a man to say I'm not good looking, but I can bust some sky back to where the mind is cooking. Lighting up his soul and loosen up the pain, make my heart beat up fast like the girl from Plain Jane. But please allow me to proceed to pop my flow on the underground scene at the underground show. Call him killing in between, I guess it takes all kinds, because I guess we got to love my blah blah blah, who love us blind. And you're how old? 16. In yeah. 90 what? 91. 91. Got yeah. it. So I'm like, uh, yeah, I want to be a Christian. So so I started, I, I met with these guys, and these two new guys, Matt being one of them, the singer of Supertones, they had just gotten saved also like, I don't know, like six months before that. And they were total druggies and total just guys that like never knew one thing about the Bible or Christianity. And so they had this band called Honkies for Christ because they just wanted to like serve God with it. So I'm like, all right. Um, and uh, I stepped into it. It was almost like just because I grew up in the church, I had to kind of show these guys like, you know, yeah, you're trying to do a, a song for God here and you got cussing all over it. You probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> They're wow. like, yeah, we figured we figured that probably wouldn't work. I'm like, yeah, okay. Had two speakers and a microphone. So listen up, listen up. Make sure that you can hear me. I'm the part of Roman France. So come on again. Let me, I'm a sinner just like all of you. Don't make me do more an idol. I'm a preacher. I'm a saint. I guess I fit the tiles, gotta keep on up the heart because my good is not enough. So hope my job, I gotta give the glory up. So anyway, that's kind of how it went down. So we instantly changed our name and I and it was the band Saved. And that was in 1991. So we were a band for the next, I'd say, four years. Mm-hmm. Trying, you know, playing for free everywhere we went, never getting a dime. No one ever cared about us. We didn't have we had one fan. We had one fan, this guy named Joey Hani, that came to all of our shows and bought a shirt or something. So it was like no one really cared about us, and we were just trying to get going. We were terrible. I mean, just really, a really, really bad band. My name is Matt Morjinski. I was one of the founders and lead singer of the Orange County Supertones. A lot of people know me as Mojo. We started as a band that wasn't in the Supertones, and I will not tell you our name, uh, in 1991. We played a bit of a musical hodgepodge of punk and alternative and ska. Because um, I loved ska music long before I ever started a band. Hardcore was happening in SoCal at the time, and, and in the Christian scene especially, it was, we all of a sudden had all these cool bands, you know, Plank Eye, I remember. Um, Havelina Rail Company. So, but there was a lot of cool bands. The Prayer Chain, um, and we were just the joke of that scene. We could not get booked anywhere. Um, you know, we were the band that you uh, maybe politely ignored before you saw the band that you wanted to see. That was us for several years. We had the most eclectic music you've ever heard. Like, I remember we had a, a punk rock song. We had a disco song, we had rock and roll, we had ballads, we had a a death grunge metal song, we had a polka song, and we had a ska song. Ska was one of the genres, so every song, it was like musical chairs, it was the wackiest band ever. And that's the band we were trying to get signed with, with Brandon, when it all happened in the early 90s. So like Brandon was right there. we were all friends with the whole Southern California scene. Mm-hmm. When I listened to your first couple episodes, it was really cool. You talking about the Seattle scene, mm-hmm. like, and all the excitement of that and how it all came together and all those, and that house and those bands and everybody just pulling together. It was the same thing in Southern California. There was a huge concert scene that emerged in the uh, early 90s, 92, 93, 94. And we were playing all those shows with everybody. So obviously the biggest bands were Plank Eye and Focused that broke out of that. Uh, Plank Guy had been doing it for a while and focused and then unashamed, like these hardcore bands started breaking and all this stuff. So uh, Havelina Rail Company, uh, Starfire 59. So we had all these bands that were just coming out that played shows together all the time. And we were the only one that didn't get signed because we were so wacky and because we had like all these different styles of music. So we're going to let Mojo take us down ska memory lane just for a quick minute because... He's the expert, and the dude loves ska. It was so exciting. Everything was so self-serious at that point in the music world. You know, grunge and like, we're really upset about making records and we hate ourselves and 
all that stuff. And when I heard ska, it was like, it was celebratory. It was, I, I really always loved Motown music. And so, so it kind of had some of that vibe to it. And the sound was big, you know, with the horn players. And it was like, it was so different and creative. And I, I heard Op Ivy, that was like it. When I heard Operation Ivy, I was like, this is the coolest band that has ever existed. I have to say that Ska was a huge like wardrobe and attractiveness upgrade for women because grunge just didn't do anybody any favors. It was cool. Everyone had a look. It was just so different. And so, yeah, we would go to any show we could go to, seeing No Doubt back in the day. This was Orange County before they, they broke, but they were huge in Orange County and they were, I mean, you know. Uh, Voodoo Glow Skulls, that was a good one. The Aquabats, like the shows were so creative and entertaining and energetic, it's so just like unlike everything else. It was, it was a party every single time you went to a ska show. And that, that's, yeah, you could tell, I'm still passionate about it, I love it. One thing that's great about ska music is that you have these very exaggerated personalities. That's kind of part of it. You know what I mean? Like grunge and all this stuff, it kind of played everything down. Even new metal, it's, it's almost faceless. But ska, uh, I think hip hop shares this characteristic. Like great hip hop, it's almost like superheroes and comic book characters in these bands, you know? It was just this, this whole package of this larger than life group of people. And that's another great thing about uh, ska music. E even going back, like you look at Desmond Decker, like he was cool, right? Like there was a great look to Desmond Decker. So like you, you look at Desmond Decker, you look at the Scatolites and there's just this whole great look. Like when you went to see a ska band, it was like they, they really cared about everything. They, they, they cared that they were playing a show. They dressed up for it. You know, it's not just the suits, which is kind of the more classic and stereotypical thing, which the boss tones obviously did better than anybody. I think like you, you think of a band like the Aquabats who took it to this hilarious extreme, really playing up the, like I said, the comic book character thing. Like I think they literally did that, right? My only regret is that Sands About Slacks never became part of Ska Wardrobe because I look great in Sands About Slacks. I think that I have suffered for Ska fashion a great deal. I have torn multiple pants on stage. Uh, I have sung with a collar that's a little too tight. If you've never done that, it's harder than it sounds. I have sweated through thousands of dollars worth of suits. Like there were suits that after I was done with them, I was like, there's no dry cleaning this. Like the smell is in there permanently. It smells like garlic and throw up and I can't put this on again. That's what it is to be a singer in a ska band. One time we played in Minnesota. It was a sun going down show. It was hot and humid like it can only get in Minnesota in midsummer. And I had my jacket and I saw everybody in the crowd, some people who dressed up to match the band, took their jackets off. My bandmates were not wearing their jackets. And I said, you bunch of mamby-pamby, uncommitted scoffakes. I'm keeping my jacket on this whole time. And I did the whole show, front to back, full bore. Heat index must have been about 105 degrees. I got heat exhaustion. I almost passed out. I'm serious about this. You know, uh, David Bonson? Mm -hmm. So DLB, he was the manager of uh, Plank Eye, right. of course, and then the manager of Focused. And so, I was always like the little kid, like that just loved the music and was like, you know, hey, you got to listen to our band. and Hey, can we get a show with with these guys? And DLB just made things happen. He kind of had the lot, big vision for it. And so him and Brandon shared an office, right, mm -hmm. in Irvine. I remember going to that office several times and like Brandon's side of it, we had these stacks of CDs, like as high as you could see. I mean, you've never seen more CDs in your life. It was like, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he has more now, but... Back then, it was like he had walls and walls of CDs. The tiny little office was filled half with CDs. 
And I'm just like, who is this guy? And there's talk of he's starting a label. Oh, my gosh. And Plank Guy and Focus is going to be on that label. Oh, my gosh. He could sign us. And so from the get-go, when I met Brandon, I was, like, always trying to get signed by him. And then, uh, <laughs> and like, every time I talked to him. And so I think I, I think I had three different meetings with him. We met at, I remember we met at Wahoo's. And I kept on giving them our demo tape, right? We made these demo tapes of four songs. Every time we would come back to him a year later, a year later, it was like, again, the whole band was reinvented. We didn't even like sound like we used to. And now we had better music. Now it was a little more alternative. Now it was a little more focused, but still kind of all over the place. And we still kind of had that one ska song that was like probably our biggest song. Mm-hmm. So like we would play live and we would always close with the ska song and the place went off and it was super fun. And, um, and we liked it. So we wrote another ska song. And then there was a couple people that just said, yeah, you guys really should go with the ska thing. That's like the best things you guys got. Our drummer, Jason, was just this super entrepreneur. If you ever meet him, he is he's just, his personality is a force of nature. And so he, at our church youth group, um, which was like the first Christian thing I was, was ever part of, we had this venue called the Underground. Like our youth group existed in, independently of our the big church. And we had like a stage down there and there would be concerts and, and he would put on this thing called April Fest. He was the, he booked it everything. So he booked this, uh, this one month long, every weekend thing. And it was the first time MXPX was playing outside of kind of their home area. And, and they were, they broke and they were huge. And we all loved MXPX, which you should love MXPX because they're awesome. And it was their first time. And, and who did he put on as the opening act? <laughs> Why? Uh, the Supertones, of course. So in the meantime, at my church, I'm running a concert series called April Fest. All the Tooth and Nail bands you know of, like we brought them in. And we brought in MXPX for the first time in California. But when MXPX came, it was nuts. So when, when they came, of course, MXPX needed an opening band. And I was the promoter. And so, hey. <laughs> there you go. So, I got I got saved to be the opening band on the MXPX show. And we knew Brandon was coming down from Seattle with his new band, MXPX. And then as the promoter also, we need a place for these guys to stay. Hey, they can stay at my mom's house, right? So <laughs> so after the concert, Brandon and the three MXPX guys, we went to uh, my mom's house. And the three MXPX guys got my sister's old room. They've moved out. And then Brandon took my bed and I slept on the floor next to Brandon, right? And so <laughs> at this, have you heard this story? No, I love loving so, it okay, though. So, so, um, so I'm thinking like, okay, I, he saw our band. We, we actually had a couple of saxophones play that night and we did the ska thing a little bit more intentionally. Like we definitely moved that way. And I was thinking like, okay, as soon as I get him alone and you know, Brandon, he's like, always so scattered sometimes right yeah so yeah he has so many things going on and so when you get a chance to talk to him you're like okay now's my chance so we're getting ready to go to bed he's in my bed i'm on the floor and i i said uh hey so what did you think of and before i could finish the sentence he like says good night (laughs) seems like everything i touch just falls to pieces seems like everyone i help just falls and how I need someone to make me feel assured Well, I don't need anyone if you're on my side, Lord, and I then the next morning, we wake up. They've got to get to the airport. My mom makes MXPX waffles, and we're all having breakfast and stuff. It's time to go, and MXPX heads out to the driveway. Uh, Brandon says, i got to go grab my suitcase. And I thought to myself, okay, I've got one last shot. I literally chased him down the hall, Matt. And I went, like, he, like, goes into my bedroom, down the hall, into my bedroom, and I go in right past him, and I close the door behind me. And I stand in front of the door, and I say, all right, Brandon, I've just got to know, man. I want this so bad. We want to be a part of Tooth and Nail. What's it going to take? And he just said, "Uh, well, you're definitely going to need to change the name. I'm I'm like, okay, no problem. Yeah, we're not sold on that anyway. And he goes, he goes, and I'll think about it. I'm like, okay, well, 
Like, what can we do? Do you have any advice for us or whatever? How can I make this happen? And he kind of just said, well, I'll just think about it. Just keep on writing songs. I think the ska thing really worked. It's a lot better. The horns are good. You guys put on a great show. I'm like, cool. You know, so like that was kind of it. And so, you know, the way Brandon tells this story, he acts like I locked him in my bedroom, like held him hostage. I spent the night at his house and he basically the next morning corners me in his room and demands to get signed to the record label. I really just stood in front of the door for 30 seconds to try and ask that one question. You know what I mean? They demanded to be on the label and I didn't want to sign them and they locked me in a room and made me do it. And that's the truth. I'm sticking to it. Greetings, everybody. It is Adam at Tooth and Nail again, this time with the pleasure of informing you that there is a new Copeland record called Blushing that is out in the world and available to be listened to by you as of Valentine's Day. Don't count me out, I feel you. Fading me out as the calmness around us is whispering. Rush over to Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, wherever you listen to music and check this out. It's just more beautiful, unique, awesome music from a band we all really love. Again, it's called Blushing. We have really cool vinyl out on both the band's website, Benchmark, and the label's website, uh, Merch Now. Also, the band has a bunch of tour dates, so go check out if they're coming to a town nearby. Copeland, Blushing. We love it. We hope you'll love it. Let us know what you think. Okay, back to the show. So we we started doing, this was 1995 now. Brandon had already moved up to Seattle. We felt like we missed the whole boat. We felt like we lost our shot. All these bands we played with, every one of them, dude, Every single one that played in Southern California in the scene that we played with, all the shows we played, every band got signed except us. So after that, like, he went back to Seattle. We thought, like, I don't even know if that was successful, maybe another failed attempt. Mm -hmm. And so we tried this three times with Brandon. He saw us put our best foot forward. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. I finally said, look, here's the bottom line. If you change the name of your band from Save to something else, and you change your sound to ska, I'll sign you. And then finally, uh, so we so we were good friends with Scott Saletta of uh, Plank Eye, and he was like good friends of the band, and he always come over and hung out with us, like sometimes when we practiced or whatever, and he was sitting around the table, and we were saying, yeah, we gotta think of a new name, and that's when the name came, like Scott Saletta said, what about the Super 7? Like, because there were seven of us in the band at the time. We are all, that's cool, yeah, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um. And then one of the guys says, we're like super tones. And then it was like, yeah, that's it. So that's the way the super tones came out. Then we found out there was some rockabilly band that already had the name super tones, I guess. So we became the Orange County super tones. At that time, you were playing shows and you had you begun to have any more success. Like you had a seven piece and you're doing more ska. So you had something going on. But what were the other ska bands? And, and what was that? Like, or were you still just playing with hardcore bands? Okay, so at this point, I should have included this in the story. Remember I told you for like four years, we were a band like nobody even cared about. We never got paid a dollar. Like we weren't drawing any crowds. Right. Like when we switched to the ska thing, Matt, the whole thing blew up. I mean, overnight. It was like we were out drawing at concerts as an unsigned band focused in Plank Eye at that point. Like we were bringing in crowds of like a thousand kids. And then when we played this one show down in San Diego, it was this festival thing. I remember Sixpence None the Richer. You remember them? It was headlining and we kind of had like a middle slot. And all of a sudden, like people were dancing and people were watching and like we're looking out at people enjoying our music. And we were like, what is this wizardry? <laughs> you know, what, what has happened? that all of a sudden, we are not the politely ignored band. And I think, what was that called? It was called Lollapaloma, 
It was 1995. Was that because ska was a, a big thing already? Like I'm saying, were there other ska bands succeeding in Orange County at the time? No. So in the in the Christian scene, there was no one. Like mm-hmm. people hadn't even heard of Five Iron or Insiders yet at uh-huh. this point. And so eventually, when Brandon signed us, like he put out that catalog for the first time with like uh, a picture of two horn players that aren't even that were never even in our band. They played one show with us, <laughs> and it was a picture that said Supertones Christian Ska coming out in 1996. And like people all over the country freaked. Like people have been waiting for it. It was like they were dying for a Christian Ska band. It was fun, and I think that. Uh, obviously like youth groups and stuff like really connected with that style of music and, and wanted to have a big party show, you know, that type of thing. I don't even know. I still don't know how it happened. I mean, it's, it's so bizarre. I mean, you play these shows with like 50 people for like three or four years straight. And then next thing you know, there's like over 500 kids every show. And you're like, we're not even signed. What's going on. When did this happen? Was there money on something like that at that time? You mean us getting paid yeah, to play was, the was, show? Were, you know, what was there tickets five or ten dollars? Was somebody making money? Were you making money? Yeah, it, yeah, it was. It was definitely there was. It was low price tickets. I remember. I remember tickets were always like five bucks to all these shows, right? Right. So it was like nothing. But I don't think we got paid that much. But we started getting paid, and everything went back into the band. Like mm-hmm. that was one thing about the Supertones. Like we didn't make a penny, not one of us, ever in the band. The first like five six years of the band. Everything went back into the band. Everything was just this. And it, it provided us the opportunity by the time we got going to pay cash on a van and a trailer and get all the merch we needed to get and everything else. And so then it then it really took off. Okay. So yeah. then you get partnered up with Brandon. I suppose he knows you know, he, he seemed to already be sniffing that ska was the right track and the right ticket. So Well, then- no, he, he wasn't he wasn't even sold, Matt. Still like not. even with this, no, he was still not sold. <laughs> like I would still try and contact him or, you know, every now and then say, Hey, this is happening, man. We had this many kids at a show or I can, he wasn't, he wasn't biting at all. You were, were you talking and to other labels? At that point, right then, funny you asked that, like we were just kind of like, okay, things are happening. We may as well explore this. Even though like we didn't want to be on other labels, like tooth and nail was so hot. I mean, it was like, if, if you weren't on tooth and nail, it was lame. I mean, it was that simple. <laughs> it really was. In that whole Southern California Christian concert scene, it was like tooth and nail or lame. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted that so bad. But then, yeah, we. I remember there was, a, I think it was Metro One Records. And then there was one other that was like, these are kind of independent labels that had things going. They were interested in us. And I'm like, all right. If they're interested in us, I better tell Brandon that they're interested in us because I think it's only fair to him. We're not going to go with somebody else without telling him this. And I think when we told Brandon that there was two other labels interested in us, he picked us up right away. Musically, that was probably the first band I ever signed. You know, I said I only sign bands I like. That was probably the first band I ever signed, their old style, that I honestly didn't love the band. But I liked the guys. And it was their tenacity that basically made me sign them. The obnoxious younger brother, like, finally gets his shot, you know. Where are you from? Orange County. first album I really liked the music but it was an afterthought to me I was focused on MXPX Supertones were just this band that changed their sound to get on my record label I'm doing it as a favor I remember once Jason called me and he said I want to I'm real bummed out because we didn't get posters for our tour and I was like all right I'll put up some posters you know I mean it was like no focus but then almost it was for them it was serendipitous that MXPX left because it was for me it was make or break it now all of a sudden 
I'm sitting here with a record label with 13 employees or however many we had, health insurance, lawyers, rent, you know, multiple things going on. And now I gotta pay the bills for real. And so we gotta break another band, you know, and that was the Supertones, and it worked. And if they don't break, we're done. And at that point, you know, I wouldn't always necessarily put the money into the right bands. I put the money into just the bands that were the coolest more than the bands that maybe business-wise made sense. But when I went back and I looked at it, I thought, okay, here's Tony and Jason, the nicest guys to me. I'm putting out the record as a favor, but it's actually sold more than I thought. And these guys are hardworking, and I think they have what it takes. That would be the first time that I ever actually thought, I'm going to put money into something that actually is commercial or might be working over just because I like it. Um, don't get me wrong, I like the Supertones, but they just had this momentum. And so I kind of chased that. I thought this is my last ditch effort to keep everything going. But I got this check from A&M Records that was keeping the lights on, and it was a pretty good check. So I remember I thought, I'm going to put the bulk of this money I got from A&M Records, and I'm going to put it into the Supertones, and I'm going to blow them up. Orange County, huh? I used Steve Kravak, the same producer who did MXPX Life in general, to do the Supertones. So I almost, basically what I did is use the same formula that I used to make him XPX. Ska was getting huge. Their first album was like, they were kind of trying to ride the ska wave and it was a little goofy. But the second album was just spot on. And we ended up doing like six music videos off of that, all 35 millimeter film. You know, we went all out on that record. It worked. Unlike MXPX where I knew it was a hit and I put everything into it, Supertones and almost like as a God thing or a Jason Carson thing, he came and demanded to be on the label. You know what I mean? Like I didn't deserve it. Well, I went out on a limb for MXPX. In a weird way, the Supertones came to me on a silver platter. It's literally like, you know what? You should be done now. It was a good run, five years, four years, or downsize the company back to you in your bed, you know, you uh, in an apartment with some interns, right? Uh, but, you know, let's take one more swing, right? It's the brand and evil way. Let's take one more swing, all or nothing, you know, like all the chips on the table. And we'll pick Supertones, you know? And it worked. the OC Supertones was to make a better second record, which we totally did with Strike Back. We made the perfect second record and um, blow them up, you know? So we, we did that and we spent a lot of money doing it. We made a really good record and put all of our resources into, into their album and made, a, I think, a real timeless album. I mean, to this day, Supertones Strike Back has got to be the best Supertones record. The biggest selling, but also the best. The album is totally in the pocket. Every single song is a smash, you know, like five, six singles deep. So we definitely knew once we had that record that it was going to be big. And uh, we went for it, and it paid off. Today I make my revolution. Today I make my... Let's still spend some more time on what the culture was like, the very special marriage between youth group, moshing, ska. You know, a lot of people and a lot of people in the Facebook group have already suggested that it's just such a perfect fit with Christianity because it's, it's so safe. And it's like you can even do aggressive music. And then if you add horns to it, all of a sudden it's so happy and it's non threat. It's like every parent is full green light. You know what I mean? Like it's not the scary, mean punk part of that. How do you think about, about that? I mean, we didn't at the time. We just did what we do, right? Mm -hmm. I, looking back now, I'll agree with you 100%, everything you just said. But like when it was happening, it's like this is like we, we made the conscious decision to fully go the ska route and we liked playing it. It was fun. It's happy. So, our uh, one big thing, like our singer, he hated the whole like, like for supertone shows, he didn't want people 
like stage diving and moshing. He wanted everyone dancing, having a big party. Do right? they call that skanking? He's skanking. There you okay. go. Okay. And so, like, he would always encourage people from the front. Hey, instead of moshing, let's all let's all dance. Let's have a big party in here. It was completely. I mean, you even as being a youth pastor for the past, you know, I was a youth pastor for ten years after I left the band. I know what is great youth group music. If you're able to like show parents and families and kids to have something like with incredible Christian content and it's fun and danceable with horns, yeah, it's it's perfect. Right. So I think that that really probably did play a big part in in kind of becoming one of those big youth group type bands. There, there was certainly pressure. And I think for a lot of people who go into Christian music and that kind of branch of the industry, it's like they feel like they have to do it to honor God or else they're not honoring God. Right. For us, it, it really is authentically who we are. <laughs> Three of us are in full-time pastoral ministry. I'm a, I'm a pastor now. Like I went to seminary, all that stuff. And so for us, you know, the, I didn't know there was such a thing as Christian music when we started the Supertones. I wrote what I wrote because that's what was in my heart and that's what I continued to do. We talked about Jesus at our shows because that's honestly like we thought it was appropriate and it's just who we are. I don't think we expected other bands to do the same and and it was it was hard honestly because we we had a chance to go with Warner Brothers, you know, we had chances to play big festivals, but you know when we would play, we would get booked on general market or secular as we say in the Christian ghetto. Uh, when we would play those shows and we would say something, we would at least acknowledge our faith. We would always get heckled. We would get um, not invited back by promoters because they didn't want to deal with that. Um, you know, I, there was one time here in Denver, one of the, one of the first shows we played. It was the first ever show we played with Five Iron Frenzy. Um, and it was opening up for one of my very all-time favorite bands, two of my very all-time favorite bands, The Bouncing Souls and The Descendants. Um, it would like getting to play with them was just this pinching myself moment, right? And we, I think Fire Iron played first. We played second or third in a long show and it was a big show. Um, and, uh, you know, we're playing and people are dancing and enjoying it. And, and uh, other bands can get up and be like, I'm so drunk that I vomited on my mother this morning. Everyone's like, woo! And we're like, we're the Supertones, we're from Orange County, and we play music because we love Jesus. Boo! You know, like, I don't know if you've ever been booed by, it, it could have been maybe 3,000 people, there was a big show, booing in unison, flipping us the bird, throwing things at us, um, screaming things at us. That happened several times. If you're a band that just doesn't want to say anything, great. If you're a band that normally says something, but you shut up when you're in front of people that don't like what you have to say, that's selling out and we just couldn't do it. Um, so I think by necessity, we, we, we kind of had to go that route because that's who would book us, is promoters and festivals in the Christian industry more so. Jason Carson, play drums to the Supertones. How long have you been with the band? Been with the band, uh, Matt and I started the band about seven and a half years ago. And what was the purpose? purpose was, I was actually right when I became a Christian, and uh, the purpose was to definitely use my talents for God and to see others become closer to Christ, and also as well to build and encourage the church, which is Christians, and so somehow to encourage them on to be stronger in their faith. Tell me about the creating the music as it would pertain to that. When you're writing songs, what words would you use to describe it? Like, oh, this, like, for instance, in a heavy band, say, like, oh, that's so heavy or whatever. Or were you searching for something like, oh, that's fun, this will work? Like, was what was the feeling that Supertone's chasing when writing music? It might be tough to answer that, Matt, because, like I said, we came from such an eclectic band in the first place. We loved all music. I mean, my dad, I, I was raised on, on jazz, Miles Davis and... Um, some of the some of the old Buddy Rich and big band stuff. Like I was raised on that, and I also classical music and uh, and rock and heavy rock. And my dad introduced me to all that stuff. And same with our singer Matt, like who was the primary songwriter. He listened to all that stuff. Our bass player Tony, who was the other songwriter, he he was into all the punk stuff, 
all the ska stuff, all the alternative stuff. So we we came in as this, I think the three of us together as this perfect like songwriting group that knew what we wanted to do. And that's what came out as the Supertones and the first four albums anyway. So out of the first four albums, you had this sense of, you know, we wanted songs that were fun, moving, uh, you know, you listen to our music and you always hear in a lot of the songs a big breakdown uh, bounce, bouncy part, kind of halftime slamming, you know, type of thing. So I, th- I think we just love it. And did you know that I was in Unashamed before I started Supertones? Yep. So I came from that full, like, I mean, every song we did was right. I'm just riding the crash. Yep. And so, like, it, I think that just naturally came out. We love to just rock it out. But you so. identify the ska to be very closely related to unashamed and hardcore with breakdowns. Yes. You, that's yeah. that's your point of view. Musically, not not vocally. Right, right, musically. <laughs> you could have taken for sure some of the breakdowns we did in Supertones. And if you put like the singer of Under Oath or Zao on top of that, it would have been insane. You they played Angel Stadium for Harvest Crusade. They played, they opened for the Pope, for John Paul in St. Louis. We did get to play on MTV one time, and that was a crazy go nuts day for us. We played on a show called Oddville. Uh, so Oddville was like this oddity show, pretty cool actually. And then we got to play at the end of it, and it was, in one sense, like it's a pretty good achievement for a, a kid who picks up a bass guitar. That was my first instrument. At 12 years old, like you dream, like what if I get to play on MTV? What if I'm on MTV one day? Like we were in a heavy rotation. Our video made it on a couple of times. We got to perform like at MTV Studios in New York City. Like it was. It was a really surreal day, and we were looking at nothing but a wall and pretending that there were people enjoying it, you know? I remember getting super out of breath. Like, you know how when Guns N' Roses came back and Axl Rose, like, they did Welcome to the Jungle, remember that? And, and he got out of breath and everybody made fun of it. I feel you, Axl, because when your nerves are going, it just, all of a sudden, it's so much harder to breathe. So yeah, me and Axl have that in common. You guys also played a ton of arenas. There were years where you sold out arenas. That's true. Thank you for bringing that up. We did sell out arenas. No, uh, we were a pretty popular band. Um, it was funny because, uh, you know, I think to some degree we flew under the radar. Um, like people didn't know about us as much um, because we were in the Christian subculture. I remember one time playing Roseland Ballroom. We were playing upstairs in this band called Marcy Playground who had that song, I smell sex and candy hair. Remember them? They were playing downstairs, and this was like when their song was on the radio. It was like a 200-person club, and we're, we're selling out upstairs, and they're like, who are you guys? We're like, we're the Supertones. You've never heard of us. Um, so, when we, yeah, we would play clubs or, or small arenas. I don't want to make it sound like we were Bon Jovi or something. It started out with three guys. Mm-hmm. Three guys that said, like, this is so fun. We're best friends. Let's play music together. Let's create. And it was just a joy. Everything was a joy, right? And so, yeah, yeah, the first album comes out. It starts exploding. You're signing autographs everywhere. You know, like, if you're in the spotlight too long, you get blinded, right? So, sure, those things start coming in. Next time, time to, time to write the new album. All of a sudden, people care about who wrote what. And people care about you know, royalties and people care about percentages and stuff. And it's like, oh boy, here we go. So we were constantly fighting that. We would, we would intentionally on tour, we would bring out like some of our pastors with us and be road pastors and give us, you know, we we would do, try and have Bible studies every night and try and say like, hey, let's stay grounded. And we found ourselves constantly coming back to that place. We would pray before we played every night, like either in our van or our bus or our dressing room or whatever. And every, it seemed like a million times we came back to that place where every guy in the band was saying, gosh, I've, I'm like losing my focus on this stuff. Like I'm, I'm constantly comparing myself with other bands and seeing how many units we sold this week and how much we did in merch and did we outsell the band we were touring with and like all that stuff that just creeps in. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we, we like, kind of told each other almost every night and then we say yeah we need to like bring it back to 
Jesus, we love you. We're doing this for you. This is for your heart, for your glory. And we and so we did. And then we we had a road pastor out once that we told we told him about that. We told him like we feel like so guilty, we feel so crappy that like we're coming in every night. We're supposed to be these guys out here doing God's work. And every night we're coming in and saying, Sorry, God, we lost our focus again. Sorry, God, we lost our focus again. And our, I'll never forget, man, I still to this day, even as a pastor now, like I, I just realized that our pastor spoke into us that that night and he said something I'll never forget my whole life. He says, you know, he says, Jason and guys, Tony, chief, he said, do you think your heavenly father's disappointed that his children are coming together each night and saying, I want to get my focus back on him? And we're like, oh, probably not. <laughs> you know, that sounds pretty good. You put it that way. And he's like, he's like, he's like, the Lord loves you. This isn't legalism, and it's not something that you have to like obtain some perfect standard. Of course, you're going to have struggles and failures and temptations and all that kind of stuff. But to come back every night and say, "Hey, we desire, we desire to like give the glory to God, and we want to like do our best to put our best foot forward." So I think when we when we realize that there's a real sense of walking in that grace mm-hmm. and in that freedom to not realize this isn't about what people's expectations are of us or about what we're supposed to look like to people or please anybody, but a sense of like, yeah, this is for the kingdom of God. This is for his glory and it's not for us. And so I think that always really helped us. That's something I'll never forget. And so then you had a green light to get as rich as you could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. But, uh, but you know, in talking about that money, I mean, did how, did you, like I said, Brandon acknowledges that he made a lot of money there. Did you guys, I mean, and don't, please don't be humble about this. And I'm not trying to pry or anything. About it. I don't yeah. care. But, you know, the stories almost always, even the bands you thought were big, they didn't actually really have money. That's always yeah. a story kind of thing. Um, but did did you guys really go get out there and have big deals and make some good money? I mean, it'd be I great think, if uh, we'd all celebrate with you if you could tell me yes is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, for sure. No, no, no. And so so here's here's the deal. Like I told you, we didn't even make a penny even after the band got signed. We still kept putting it into the account. I think we started getting paid in 1997, and that's when it all exploded anyway. Mm-hmm. When Super Don't Strike Back came out, that was our biggest album. I think it's somewhere around 420,000 units mm-hmm. sound scan, which is, you know, amazing and a lot. And so when that album came out, it really blew up and we started getting paid. We got a salary. I don't think it was anything crazy. I think there was like there was like uh, four owners in the band and and there was a couple guys that got a percentage and stuff like that. And so, I mean, you know, we might have been making uh, twenty five hundred a month for a while. You know, and then I think it, it got a little bigger and then you would get the bonuses, right? And you would get the royalties and you would get things like that. So we were super blessed at that point. I mean, you I was able, able to get to, bonuses that were in five figures sometimes individually. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There was a couple times we got, we got, I think like 12,000 and 15,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's how big it got. Right. But I was able to come out to, in those years, I just had finished college, pay off all my college debt. Buy a forerunner for cash. Nice. And be able to buy my, you know, fiance a, a wedding ring mm-hmm. and to put a down payment on a house. And so after all that happened, I left the band and went into ministry. <laughs> our biggest drawing tour was 2001, 2002. That was, that was our biggest ticket sales ever. And uh, yeah, we didn't really tail off till about 03. And then, then it tailed off quick. Like, yeah, then it was like emo was around and people were torturing themselves by listening to it um, and they forgot how to dance or talk to people. And so, yeah, Emo's got a lot to answer for, but we tried. Scott tried. Did you guys have the pressure that a lot of ska bands had around that time to change your music? Oh God, yeah. Yeah, it was our job, man. We were trying to keep, we, it was, we didn't know what else we would do. Like, you know, that, that's, that's kind of what we were committed to to doing. And so, absolutely. I think we tried and failed. I think we made some good music in the process, but looking at those records um, when we were trying to transition out of being purely a ska band, um, uh, our, 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 our not looking at commercial success, but quality music, when I look back on it, I think that our, our hit rate was lower. I, I think we were, we were searching and not finding what we were trying to do. We're second guessing ourselves, you know? I mean, it's, it's definitely hard, like what you did and what you were good at is no longer what, will, what people want to hear. And so you're trying to figure out like, 
Because ska is definitely like its thing. Like Coldplay, what's Coldplay? It's, it's a pop group, so they could do like, yeah, now we're a techno pop group, and now we're an acoustic pop group. No problem, right? When you put on a skinny tie and blare horns and you're all, pick it up, pick it up, and you stop doing that and pretend like you didn't do it, yeah, that's a tougher sell. That's a way tougher sell to transition out of that. Ska is such a definite sound that, um, that you have to fully commit to it to, to be good at it. And so, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, I think Fishbone did it for a long time, right? They might be, the, uh, No Doubt, I suppose, did it. Um, but yeah, we're not Fishbone or No Doubt, so we couldn't. supertones and even the genre of ska itself were huge players in the larger tooth and nail story and think about it can you imagine if jason doesn't corner brandon in that bedroom and if they don't have their work ethic and persistence that they do this is one of those situations where you got to ask yourself if it doesn't happen or unfold the way it does for supertones and tooth and nail and what we know about the coming 20 years Mm, the whole history of this scene and maybe mine and your life doesn't turn out the way it does. So from Brandon to me to To The Nail to all of the podcast listeners here, thank you, Jason. And now don't forget, I told you, check out and support the Ska movie. And also, this week, the labeled Patreon members will be getting the full couple hours of uncut tape from Jason and Mojo, who talk about a ton of other cool stuff that did not make the episode. So join us there and support the show and get all the old label episodes and all the bonus tapes from every episode this series. So go to patreon.com slash labeled. And if you can't support it that way, you can still join our larger free community Facebook group. Search for the Labeled Podcast Facebook group and we'll see you over there. My name is Zach from York, Pennsylvania. I'm a labeled member, and my favorite tooth and nail band of all time is Terminal. Matt Carter is our host, editing and sound design by Melanie Studley, story and mixing by Matt Carter. Production manager is Reva Hansen. Our executive producer is Brandon Ebel. Special thanks to Adam Scatula, Tyson Paoletti, Marshall Frimoth from uh, Tooth and Nail Records. This podcast is made possible by Jesse Batescholl, a photographer at I Was Nick on Instagram, the band Boxer Joy from Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and the rest of the members of the labeled community on Patreon. If you're interested in becoming a title sponsor like Jesse for your band, brand, or nonprofit, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash labeled. There's no life away from you. There's no life.